0: Grab a Bible. If you didn't already, grab that Bible now. Mark 7 is where we're going to be this morning. Anna just read our our text together. And if you're new with us, we've been in this series called Who Do You Say That I Am? It's a, a series on the Gospel of Mark, a gospel looking at the life of Jesus to see how his life affects our lives, and so we're going to see how his life affects a woman uh, in her life today and her daughter's life today, but you need to know as we come into this time where we look at God's word, specifically the gospel of Mark, that our goal isn't just to be intellectually changed but holistically transformed, right? We're we're not here uh, just encountering Jesus. They, in this day, weren't encountering Jesus and just having some beliefs changed in their mind. You don't see people just encounter Jesus and kind of have a new worldview to think about life. No, you see people who are utterly and holistically transformed. And today, as we look at the Gospel of Mark, we've been doing this every week, that's our goal, is to be transformed. And so, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you, you brought in today, you need to know, encountering Jesus is going to change that. And so soften your heart, bring your mind attentive to what God would have to speak to you as we look at this text. And we are gonna just jump right into it. Mark 7, uh, we'll start in verse 24. The title of this message is Desperation and Deliverance. Desperation and Deliverance. It says this, and from there he arose, that's Jesus, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, there's several things going on in this scene as we enter into what Jesus is doing. He has left an area and he's entered into a, a new area. And again, like, kind of like we've seen several times in the Gospel of Mark, that's not just like going to the other side of the sea like because the sun is hitting that part in, in, in a better way. Jesus is intentional. And everywhere he goes is with intentionality. And so he's leaving a a very Jewish territory, which is what he's been in, and he's going to a Gentile territory. That's Tyre and Sidon. It's modern day Lebanon. That's where that is. And so Jesus is leaving the safe Jewish religious bubble and he's breaking out of that and going somewhere else. Now you need to know, again, there's, there's meaning behind this. This would have been scandalous for a good Jew to do. Uh, A good Jew didn't leave the, the confines of the safe religious bubble and go to this unclean Gentile territory. That's not what you did, but that's exactly what Jesus does because that's how Jesus rolls. He breaks down walls, ethnicities, religions, spiritualities. Jesus is always breaking down walls. And I just want to pause as kind of a side note before we continue. You need to always see, am I living my life like Jesus? If you're a Christian, that's what it means—a a follower of Christ. We take our cues not from culture, but from Christ. And so, are you breaking down the same walls Jesus broke down? Are you staying in the the Jewish territory, the church territory, the the positive, encouraging, K love territory, or do every once in a while you bust out of that and go to people who need Jesus? You see, Jesus—he didn't stay in the safe buttoned up territory around the the safe people because he came not for the healthy but for who the sick so he went to the people that that he was called to go to that that need him that need to hear about him That need to see him teach that need to see the miracles performed and, and Jesus would always break down these walls that have been there for thousands of years and he says, I'm going to be something different. I'm going to go to people who are different and get around them. And so we need to ask, are we living like Jesus? How many people are you around who are far from God, who, who don't go to church? Those people that maybe annoy you and, and distract you and you think, I got to stay away. Jesus didn't stay away. And listen, as we approach Easter and we encourage you to invite people, next Sunday we're gonna canvas the community, provide popsicles and pizza to do that. After service with flyers to invite people to Easter, we wanna do that because we wanna do what Jesus did. We wanna break out. Some of you are thinking, I don't wanna go hand a flyer to somebody. Exactly, it's uncomfortable, but that's what Jesus is calling you to do because people are dying and going to hell for eternity without Jesus. And he's called you and he's called me to break down some walls and point them to Jesus. And there's never a better time than Easter because a lot of people culturally just go to church on Easter. And so we can invite them and we encourage you to do that. And so as we look at the way Jesus lived, we wanna see how we live. That's the whole point of going through this series in the gospel of Mark. And so that's one thing you see in this scene. The second thing you see in this scene is Jesus is trying to get some rest. All right, look at what Mark says. He says, he enters a house and didn't want anyone to know. We see this rhythm with Jesus. He, he does a lot of ministry with people. He teaches people. He's got the crowds following him everywhere he goes, but he doesn't stay in that place. He gets alone. He goes to a desolate place. He goes to, in this case, a house, somewhere in a Gentile territory. He's trying to get alone but it's not happening. Mark says it this way, he could not be hidden. A woman seemingly out of nowhere just shows up. This is like a parent with toddlers, right? You turn around in the kitchen, you're stumbling over them, right? You get out of the shower, they're waiting there with a towel, right? (laughs) They're, They're everywhere you go. Gentile territory, another territory, Jesus shows up, there's a woman there, there's someone there. That's what's happening in this scene. And what's amazing, Look at the text with me. It says she's there because she heard of Jesus. Now, I know it's hard for us to imagine a day without cell phones, iPhones, social media, news, but that was this day. College students, there was a day, right? And they heard about Jesus. This woman heard about Jesus and shows up at a house to meet him in another territory. Now, how does that happen? Let me tell you, it doesn't happen because Jesus is petting sheep or teaching cute Bible stories and not ruffling any feathers. It's happening because Jesus is stirring up waves. Jesus is making a difference. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the son of God. And people are starting to hear about that. He's healing people again. He's not just changing people intellectually. He's transforming people holistically He's radically changing everything he interacts with. And so a woman in a Gentile territory, she hears about Jesus. This is Bieber fever, Beatles fever, whatever generation you grew up in, on steroids, right? Whatever you think you've seen where crowds follow people and everybody's interested in Brangelina or whatever it is, this is that on steroids. I mean, can you imagine? No social media, no news, no TV. Yet this is happening. People are following Jesus. A woman is following Jesus to a house and just showing up there. People are paying attention. Tim Keller, a pastor and author in New York, said it this way. He said, I trust that you will find the figure of Jesus worthy of your attention. And so, first question today is Is Jesus catching your attention? Are you paying attention to Jesus? People are following Jesus, getting ahead of him to meet him where he is going to land. People are showing up at a house. Are you paying attention to Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as like, he's my homeboy? He was a nice guy. Yeah, he was a good teacher, like morally, like behavior modification. That's kind of what Jesus was all about. If we just follow Jesus morally, like it's kind of boring. I go to church every Sunday. I go through the motions. Uh, they ask me to pull up my Bible. I'm like, ah, I don't think so today. I just want to go to lunch. And, uh, do, you, do you pay attention to Jesus? He's God incarnate. He's God. Heaven came down. And so people are paying attention to Jesus. Sometimes I wonder do we even pay attention to him? Do we even come in a place like this where the whole goal is to fix our eyes on Jesus through his word and through worship? And, and do we sometimes we pay attention to our phone and what we have to do for the rest of the day or the rest of the, the week or what somebody's wearing or what we're wearing and what's that stain on my shirt and what's my kid doing? Are you paying attention to Jesus? That's the point of church. People in this day, they were going to great lengths to pay attention to Jesus. Are you paying attention to Jesus in the same way? This woman is going to teach us how to pay attention, how to approach Jesus. Keep looking with me. Verse 25. Verse 25 says this, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came, fell down, and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She's paying attention to Jesus. Look how she approaches Jesus. She hears about him. Mark says she comes immediately. She doesn't stall and think, I'll wait till someone reaches out. She's got a problem, right? Her daughter has a demon. Pretty massive problem, right? And she doesn't think, maybe you've had a problem. She doesn't think, well, you know, somebody will reach out to me. I mean, I'm depressed and I'll just wait. I'll wait. Somebody's going to call. You know, I, I'm struggling with this sin. And you know what? This sin has been gripping me for longer than I'd like to admit. You should confess that and go, go, go to church. Go, go find a brother or sister in Christ to share that with a pastor. I'm just going to wait for somebody. You know, somebody will come to me. Somebody should come to me. This woman, her daughter has a demon. And she doesn't stall and think, Somebody will come to me. She doesn't stop by her friend's house and vent about it for a while. She goes directly to who? To Jesus. And it says she, she falls at his feet. It says, verse 26, she begs. Matthew's account, Matthew 15, we see the same account of this. It says she begs unceasingly. She goes directly to Jesus. She falls at his feet, and she's begging him unceasingly. This is a bold and persistent approach to Jesus. He's got her attention, and she's approaching him boldly and persistently. Now, who is this woman to approach Jesus that way? Uh, She must have been somebody of some religious rank. She must have been someone who had political power, and the answer would be to both those questions, no. Who is this woman? She's a mom. How does this woman have this boldness, persistence? She's a mom and her kid is in trouble. You ever seen a mom when their kid is in trouble? You ever seen a mom when their kid doesn't get the beanie baby? I mean, moms will do anything for their kids. Amen, moms? I mean, something else could be going on with somebody else and you you don't even bat an eye. You're just like, oh, okay, yeah, what's going on? But my kid screams out at night, it's 911, it's right? It's an emergency. I'm going to do that for my kid. Where your kids are going to go to school. I think right now we have a, a nine-year-old, and she has the opportunity to pick her middle school. It's very stressful. It's like picking a college, right? Her whole success, her whole life, my identity as a dad <laughs> relies upon what middle school we pick. That's the way it feels sometimes, right? Now, why do I feel like that? Because I'm a dad, because I'm a parent, because you're a mom, This is how she approaches Jesus, because she's a mom with a kid who has a demonic spirit. So how do you approach Jesus? Like a mom. Like a mom who is so bold and persistent, not because you have the religious or the moral credentials to to go to Jesus, not because you've done everything right, not because you know all the Bible verses. You approach Jesus with a desperation because you're troubled, because something is troubling you so much that you're willing to trouble Jesus. You have a desperate, you have a bold persistence, just like a mom would with her child. You see, she's in a Gentile territory. She's she's a pagan woman. She doesn't have those credentials, but she knows something is wrong and she knows Jesus is the one who can fix it, and so she goes before him boldly and desperately. Do you go to Jesus that way? We see Jesus' response Look at verse 27. He says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So TV timeout. That was weird. You can say that was weird. That was kind of weird, right? I just encourage you, come to Jesus, bold persistence, like a mom would if her child was hurting. And Jesus' response is, why don't you let the children be fed first? Don't take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Seems like Jesus is calling her a dog. What's going on here? Uh, Somebody this week was like, hey, how much time does it take you to prepare sermons each week? Like how much prep time, study time on a typical week? And I was like, well, you know, sometimes 20-ish hours. It depends on the topic and the text. I said, this week, I'm talking about dogs and demons. So it's taken me a little bit longer to prepare this sermon, but right, it's it's a little bit confusing. And so we wanna ask, what's going on here contextually? What is going on here? Here's what we see is Jesus is giving a very short parable. You see Jesus do this all the time in the Gospels. He speaks almost in code, like a story, an illustration to relate back to a truth. And that's what he's doing here. And he's saying, you know how it is in families. First you feed the children, and then you feed the dogs. And what he's getting at is sequence. And again, remember, Jewish territory Gentile territory. There, there, there is a gap there. And what Jesus is talking about is the Old Testament. That there was a sequence to the way God worked. And at first he went to the Israelites. Not because they were special. Uh, read the Old Testament, right? Read the Old Testament. Not because they, they knew all the right things to do. They didn't. God chose in his sovereignty to go first to the Israelites. This ragtag bunch of people and say, hey, I'm going to work through you to reach everyone else. Abraham, what does he say to Abraham? I'm gonna bless you so you can bless the nations. And through you, I'm gonna do that. The Israelites were God's channel to do that. And so Jesus is, is letting her know and giving her a short parable to say, hey, this is the order and how God works, is he goes first through the Israelites and then to everyone else. And as I read that and even knowing all those details, I still thought, yeah, but Jesus, why? I mean, you're God in the flesh. You can change the sequence. I mean, you could have just said to her in that moment, her daughter is in trouble. She has this bold persistence, this desperation. You could have just said to her, hey, I love you. And I love your daughter. And you know what? She is precious in God's sight. And she is made in his image with inherent dignity and worth. And it doesn't matter that you're a Gentile or a Jew, it matters that God created you. I love you. And I'm, let's go heal your daughter. And that's the way I would write it. And that's the way I would have done it. And as I thought about that, I was convicted to say, I want Jesus to be more like me. And if I really think about it, when I read the Gospels, I mean, yes, Jesus is love and he's caring and he's gracious and he does put the little children around him. And, and Jesus is all those things, but Jesus says some crazy things. Have you read the Gospels? I mean, Jesus says at one point, like people are trying to follow him and they're like, hey, no, let me go bury my my family. And he's like, you're supposed to hate your family. Jesus says, hey, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Jesus says some scandalous, offensive things that are hard to hear, right? And if I could make Jesus up in my own image, he wouldn't have said this. It would have went differently. And there's a lot of cases like that, but here's the reality is we don't really want that. We don't really want a Jesus who's buttoned up and fits in our boxes, who does everything we think he should do, who never contradicts us, who never rubs us the wrong way, who who never checks our preferences and our personality. We don't want that Jesus. You need a Jesus who will speak directly to you. You need a Jesus who will say the things you don't want to hear. You need a Jesus who's wiser than you, who's saying something that seems a little odd because we need to be a little bit more desperate to say, okay, Jesus, I don't understand that. If you were just like me, I would understand it, but I don't. And so therefore, I need you to help it make sense, to help me follow you, to say a hard word. And some of you... You have a Jesus, maybe you even said that like, I like to think of Jesus as. That's like Will Ferrell, like baby Jesus. I like to picture Jesus like this. And none of us go that extreme, Talladega Nights reference, just by the way. None of us go that extreme, like I like to think of Jesus as a baby and with a tuxedo shirt on because he's ready to party, right? We don't go that extreme, we're like, in a Bible study, you've probably said, I like to think about Jesus like this. Personally, like, I like to think about Jesus like this. And when you read something hard, you're just like, keep thumbing through. Like, maybe I'll get to love. For God so love the world. There we go. Listen, you don't want to be in that place. Because when you do that, here's what you're doing. You are not getting Jesus, God, in the flesh, by him, through him, for him, all things were created, lived, died, and resurrected for your sin, to defeat Satan's sin and death and the grave. You're not getting that, Jesus. You're getting a little God that you've created in your own image. And what's the problem with that? Well, that God's too much like you. He, He can't help you. That God will die with you. But even before that, he's not powerful enough. He's not sufficient enough to heal your disease, to forgive you of your sin, and to solve your relational conflict. You need a different Jesus than you. And so if you have a Jesus that never contradicts you, who never rubs you the wrong way, you might wanna read the gospels, read the Bible and realize Jesus is full of grace, but he's also full of truth. And in his wisdom, he may be speaking something offensive to you to get your attention, to even test you so that you will come before him desperate. That's what he's doing with this woman. Would I have done it this way? No, but that's good because I'm not Jesus and I don't need to be. And so Jesus says this, and let's look at how, he, uh, how the woman responds. Verse 28. Verse 28, it says, she answers him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Notice this woman came with bold persistence. Now she comes with humility. She doesn't argue theology with Jesus Like, you know, Israel, I'm not sure that they should have been first. Like, maybe it should have been all people at the very beginning. Jesus, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you set it up that way? She doesn't argue theology. She doesn't get insulted. Like, exactly what do you mean by dog? She doesn't do that. Which, by the way, the original uh, language, this word is like little puppies, where some people would call uh, Gentiles dogs. Dogs. Jesus is not using that typical word. He's using this more endearing word of a little puppy. But she doesn't get insulted. She doesn't argue theology. What does she do? She says, hey, Jesus, I don't need a seat at the table if I can just get your crumbs. I mean, Jesus, your mercy, your grace, your truth is so much, like I don't need to sit down at the table if I could just get some crumbs. She's desperate. This Gentile woman Responds to this parable better than the disciples, better than the religious people of the day. She's really the first one, if you look at the whole of the Gospel of Mark, who kind of just gets the parable right away. She's like, yeah, there's a table, there's some crumbs, can I get some crumbs, Jesus? I just need you. She's, she's desperate. She's bold, she's persistent, but she's humble. Some of you Your pride, even right now, I'm explaining all this, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, and I don't like this whole idea of, I can't have Jesus to fit my preferences, and your pride is getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Your pride is what's keeping that sin hidden instead of being brought to the light, Your pride is what's keeping your marriage in that difficult place where you know Hey, all I have to do, instead of defending and deflecting, I could repent and forgive with my spouse. And if I just soften things by repenting first, like we could start to work on things and maybe go to counseling and maybe do all these other things. But it would start with a more softened heart. And you can't because your pride is getting in the way. Listen, this woman approaches Jesus boldly, persistently, but she also does so with humility and that's what we need to do and that's how we approach Jesus. C.S. Lewis said it this way, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people and of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see what is above, right? She approaches Jesus boldly, persistently, humbly, How do you approach Jesus? Look at what Jesus does in response. Verse 29, he says to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Verse 30, and she went home and she found the child lying in bed and the demon was gone. Matthew 15, it says he looks at her great faith and he heals her daughter. You see desperation leading to deliverance. This is always the way it works. Desperation is what leads you to deliverance. Not, hey, I'll just kind of change this and adjust this. I'll just download this app. I'll just, yeah, just, I need some different moral checklists. I need to remind myself and declare to myself who I am every day. No. I'll just try this strategy. I'll just try this self help. No. You need the Savior and you need a desperation that will lead to your deliverance. That's what happens with this woman. That's the way God works. And so I want to give you a couple takeaways, and then I want to ask a question as we close. First takeaway is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Evil is real. We haven't talked about it really yet, but this little girl is possessed by a demon. Evil is real. There's a spiritual realm. There's spiritual warfare. Satan is real. You have an enemy who's out to, to kill, steal, and destroy you. He's the father of lies, Scripture tells us. Evil is real. And what we see in this passage is kids aren't excluded, right? This little girl, I don't know how old she is, but, but she is experiencing this evil. Kids are not excluded. You see, all of life, the Christian life, is not just a life. It's not just a relationship. It's a battle, and your kids are part of that. And so why do we do PBC kids? Why don't we make little disciples in our kids' ministry? Why don't we proclaim the gospel to them every Sunday? Why are we encouraging you to, to step in and participate in that? Is because kids, just like you, there's a battle for their soul. And some of you who don't have kids, you just think, well, all kids these days, on their Instagram. On their phone, they don't listen, they don't respect anybody, and you kind of just chalk it up to like, oh, kids these days, like in our day, and there's a battle for their soul. Do you realize that? That's why it's such a big deal to to be as a parent pointing your kid to Christ. That's why it's such a big deal for every Sunday. For people to step up and say, it's gonna be a little wild, kids are crazy, but we're gonna teach them about Jesus, songs about Jesus, however, we can get it in their head. We're going to do that because there's a battle for their soul. And you see it in our culture, don't you? It's not just, oh, kids these days. Not when there's sexting. Not when, instead of the most scandalous thing happening at school is when somebody says, hey, would you like to go on a date with me? But would you like to have sex with me in the first conversation? Not, Not when body image is more confusing and more threatening to our kids than ever before not when identity is more confusing in our culture than ever before not when depression and anxiety is at an all-time high not just among adults but with our kids that the age is dropping as the stats keep increasing the age is dropping do you see this the kids are more distracted, kids are more anxious, kids are more depressed, kids have more peer pressure than ever before. And listen, I'm not saying that all of that is Satan, but some of it is. Why? Because there's an enemy who kills, steals, destroys. He's the father of lies. You think some of these kids are believing lies? Who's the father of lies? Satan. Listen, I'm not trying to scare you. If you're a parent, you're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to sober you. There's a battle in your life. There's a battle in your kid's life. Evil is real. We see it in this passage, and kids aren't excluded. Now, I'm not telling you to to be scared and be like, well, i got to protect my kids. I I knew this was coming, right? we got to shut all electronics down. Only positive, encouraging, Kayla. From now on, right? I'm not telling you just get in your bubble and protect your kids. Build a 10 foot wall in front of your house. Don't do that. I'm telling you not to protect your kids, but to point them to Jesus. You see, I'm a dad. I have three kids, and I think about all these things. And guardrails are good, and morals are good, and we're we're talking through all those things, especially as our kids get older. Uh, but I know at the end of the day that the best I can do is not protect my kids but point them to Jesus. I can get them around church, get them around some other people that will reiterate the Jesus I'm proclaiming. I can get them around scripture and little devotionals that they can understand. I can pray with them and hold their hands every night and pray, Jesus, would you save my kids? Right? And some of us, man, we, we hear there's evil out there and our kids aren't excluded. We're just like, we gotta get them safe. We gotta protect them. And no, listen, the best thing you can do is point them to Jesus. Why? Because greater is he who is in the world. Not greater is you. Not greater is your, your parental strategy. Greater is Jesus. What happens when Jesus encounters demons? He casts them out. He defeats them. The best gift you can ever give your child is Jesus Because they can't fight Satan, they can't fight sin, they can't fight the sexting and the peer pressure and the social media, they can't fight it and you can't fight it, but Jesus can, Jesus will. You get your kids Jesus, you pray for them, you bring them to church, you disciple them, you partner with your church to disciple them and they get Jesus, they get indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, then they can fight and then they can win. This battle that is the Christian life, it is a relationship, but it's a battle. Do you see it that way? We see it right here in this text. The second takeaway is that a strategy can't help, self-help, even though it's called that, can't actually help. But the Savior can help. Jesus can help. And it's not just with your kids. It's with you. Some of you are here today because you have tried everything else, and you think, maybe church maybe jesus i mean financially sexually relationally emotionally i'm a wreck and i've tried all these other things and maybe church and maybe that's why we're here you're here today and listen we're glad you're here but you need to know it's not just you who's in that place right it's all of us that we all should have a desperation that leads to a deliverance that's how god works And so all of us are in the perfect place. If you think I'm at my end, and maybe you said that just this week, you're like, I'm at my end, we should go to church. Maybe this Jesus thing, maybe there's something to that. If you said that, perfect. If you didn't say that and you don't feel that way, you need to know you're in that place as well and perfect. You're in the right place today. And Jesus is here to transform your life, not change you intellectually, transform you holistically Will you have the desperation that will lead to the deliverance that you need? We all need. Some of you are thinking, well, not some people, like I'm at my end, but some people, they dress nice. Maybe they're not at their end. Listen, we're all less spiritual than we look. I need Jesus like this. You need Jesus like this. This is how he moves in our lives. So here's the question. Are you troubled enough to trouble Jesus? Are you troubled enough with your sin, with that relational conflict, with the battle? Are you troubled enough with your kids? Are you troubled enough with your mirror? Are you troubled enough to trouble Jesus? Are you going to continue to in your pride white knuckle it? To end your insecurity? I'm going to just go vent to everybody else. Why don't you tell Jesus and confess it to him like he's no self-help, no strategy can help you. Oh, I'm just going to, it just feels better to complain to everybody else. Are you troubled enough to trouble Jesus, to go directly to him and fall at your feet, at his feet, like the woman did, and beg him to change you and to heal you? Are you troubled enough to trouble Jesus. And some of you think, well, Tim, I don't want to trouble Jesus. Well, that's good because he's not troubled by you. He wants you to come to him. All who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. He's inviting you. You're in church today so you could hear this message, so you could in your desperation be delivered and you could come to Jesus. Are you troubled enough yet? How long will it take? How much destruction will it take? How much doubt will it take? For you to just say, I just, I need Jesus. Will you heal my kid? Will you heal this relationship? Will you take away the sin? I want you to be there today. Jesus will heal you. He will, when he encounters you, he'll transform you holistically. Not just change the way you think. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. God, we have a moment here where we can respond in desperation. God, as we sing, God, I pray that these men and women who are here, who, there's a battle right now. Maybe I shouldn't be that desperate. Maybe my life's okay. Maybe if I shared this, what would people think of me? You know, that's, that's a battle that's going on right now for our minds, for our hearts, for our souls. And so God, I just acknowledge the battle so that we can ask you to intervene in the battle because we know what happens when you do. Sin is defeated. Satan is cast out. And so in this moment, I just just pray, however we need to respond in desperation, we would do it. We wouldn't wait. We wouldn't stall. God, you've made yourself available. We're here. Help us to respond. In the name of Jesus, amen.